I want to talk for j just a minute about um, inductive Bible study, which is a topic I learned from my aunt. Uh, she she learned it in seminary, and they teach courses on it and all that. It, and it's kind of neat. When you um, we're going to be talking about Ecclesiastes chapter seven and eight this morning, so you can be while I'm talking, you can be turning there. Um, inductive Bible study is basically you just look at the page and see what it says. Just make observations, maybe write some down. Writing is always good. And um, to start with, you don't look at commentaries. You don't look at the helps at the bottom of your Bible. You just look at the page. And if you don't understand what's in verse 2, uh, read it again. Maybe read a couple verses farther on. Sometimes verse 5 gives you an insight into what verse 2 is talking about. See what I mean? And when I study it, my own habit is I have a page of paper and uh, I draw a line down the middle. And on this side, I just say Ecclesiastes 7 and 1, and I, what's verse 1 about? I might say two or three words, a title, or I might paraphrase it. And ver what's verse 2 and 3 about? That might be one subject, and I'll kind of paraphrase that. <coughs> and this is very good. I may never look at this page again, but just the fact that I wrote something down, it helps it stick up there. See what I mean? And then the good thing is, later on, you, you may need to, as I did, look into a commentary. But you know what the Word says. So your first recollection is, what does the Word say? And then your second is, what does Pastor Roger say about that? Or what does some other, what does some other person you respect say about that? So um, the second half of the, of the page is, this is observation or paraphrase. And the, the other part of the page is, um, conclusions, maybe, or application? Interpretation. Interpretation? Yeah, right, very good. So this is what it is, and this is what I think about it, and maybe what God wants me to do with it. And uh, as we study this today, there will be something for everyone, but everything we cover maybe not be for you, but there will be something in there. At least that's what I found out. So. Now, Ecclesiastes for me is tough because uh, I have kind of a usual formula for studying and fitting things together, and Ecclesiastes doesn't fit the mold. It's, it's like reading Proverbs. You have two verses about this, and you have two verses about that, and the third thing. So, so we're going to hit the uh, two verses or four verses at a time. To start with... I'd like to have some people read this, and I might just start maybe in the first row, someone who wants to volunteer to read, and then kind of go down the row. If you're willing to read, fine. If you're not, I'll pull the guy next to you. So, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. I'm in Ecclesiastes, um, chapter, seven. chapter 7, the first four verses. A good name is better than precious So this is talking about what? Funerals. House of mourning, right? How many of you have ever, ever been to a funeral? 
Okay, I'm, I'm nearly 60, I've been to a lot of funerals. I wanna talk about three of them and just, just illustrate um, what he's talking about here. First of all, he says a good name is better than precious ointment. And then he talks about the house of mourning and mourning is better than laughter. And that's a recurring theme here. Um, I'd like to talk to you about Karen. Um, she was about 30 years old when I was 30, so that's about 28 years ago. Uh, she died of cancer. And uh, the hard thing about Karen's death was she had a little baby and she had a husband and, you know, what do you do when you're a husband and 30 years old and you got a little baby? And the other thing, hard thing about Karen's death was I, I knew her because she sang in the choir and believe it or not, I was involved in music 30 years ago. Um, and um, I, I knew because my friend was a doctor and Karen had been to her doctor about a lump in her chest and he said, don't worry about it. A year later, she went to the same doctor about a lump in his, her chest. He, he checked it out and said, well, don't worry about it. She was worried. So she went to another doctor, my friend, and he said, you're going to the hospital. But she didn't, she didn't survive, so she died at 30. And I don't really have anything more to relate than that other than here I am, a young man, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to live forever. Here's this woman who's apparently alive, and then now... When I was about 40 years old, about 10 years later, um, another guy I knew, um, Lynette and I have been in homeschooling since Amy was in the fifth grade, I think. And someone, a family we knew through homeschooling, um, the dad died, he had throat cancer. Now this dad hadn't smoked or didn't have any habits, he just happened to get throat cancer and he died. And uh, we knew the family and they had, what do they have, four kids? Six kids, okay. Um, and it's kind of like, well, like we said when we read the end of Job, God didn't ever explain to Job why. Why did this happen? It just happened. But the fact is, when you go to that funeral, you start thinking, oh, this is, there's more to life than just going to work every day, taking care of the kids every day, paying the bills, making your mortgage payment. There's more than that. So. I guess it's a healthy thing for the rest of us to go to that. The next one I want to talk to you about is when I was 50. I seem to be going in 10-year increments. Uh, when I was 50, a friend of mine named Doug Blonde um, also died of cancer. And I had known Doug, interestingly, when I was in the 30s, and we both lived up north. And then I knew him again when he did some work for us down here. And Doug was a guy with a whole lot of energy. He was, he, was fairly, he was a fairly smart guy, but he used to kind of dash ahead like, like a bull in a china shop, and sometimes he'd do stupid things because he was in a hurry, um, even though he had more sense than that. And um, so, so everyone liked Doug. And I went to his funeral, and I heard all these good things. Usually when you go to a funeral, you don't hear the bad things. You just hear the good things, right? So thank God for that. <laughs> um, I heard about Doug that his church liked him, all the youth in his church liked him. They used to go on uh, mission trips down to Mexico and they'd, they'd build something to help people down there and then they'd go to the beach and have a, a fun time and Doug would go driving and get stuck in the sand or you know, something like that. But, you know, good old Doug. But the outstanding thing was he was always happy, 
He was always encouraging. Um, people liked him and he liked them. And what a blessing that that guy should live. They had a sharing time at the funeral. It went on and on. And I had to go to evening church that day, so I had to leave early. But, um, and I thought, gee, I wonder if people are going to say that about me um, when, when I die, that they were encouraged or that I was happy or that I cheered them up. And this was at a time in my life, I think it was 2006 or so, um, I was really busy at work, really busy, and I didn't have time for people, and I didn't have time for this or that, and it was kind of, we were doing a great big project. And I realized, you know what? People are more important than all this important stuff I'm doing. So I learned something from Doug. I also learned that I didn't want to be the guy who was really smart and got things done as, and left, left people out of my life. Make sense? So you see why the preacher says, um, the preacher is the author of this, that's what he calls himself, you know it was King Solomon. He says, better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. So that taking it to heart is, I guess, what I'm talking about. I'll give you one last funeral. Um, most of you know <coughs> Caleb Hannock. Um, he passed away not quite a year ago. I um, personally, I knew him a little bit because you couldn't avoid knowing him if you were in this class. He'd come up and hug you, and uh, he's always real bright and cheerful. Sometimes after class, uh, my grandson Jacob, who is eight now, he was seven then, he'd be waiting for Lynette and I to stop yakking, and, and uh, Caleb be, would be waiting for his mom and dad to stop yakking afterwards, and they, they got together, and they're doing video games, and. Jacob was all charged up about that because he was bored and all of a sudden he had a friend, right? The other thing I heard about Caleb was um, I went to the Saturday night thing they did at the park that a bunch of people from his school had organized. And I swear there's a thousand people there. <coughs> and um, they all talked about how positive he was, how he witnessed, how people came to the Lord. And his death was an opportunity for even more of that to happen. And that was a real blessing. And I thought, gee, this, this little guy, you know, teenager, maybe had more influence in his short time than I did. So the application for all these things was, am I busy and buried? Well, people are what matter. And every time you go to a funeral, you'll learn something else. So. Anyway, my brother um, John, my little brother John, once asked me, um, he was commenting on the fact that we had three girls, um, Amy, Beth, and Lindsay. He says, did you ever feel like you wanted to have a son to carry on the family name? And I came back to him with, well, to me, when I think about people in my past, I think about individuals, okay? I don't think about the name so much. So whether you're a boy or a girl, it's kind of what have you left behind? And that, that brings us back to verse one. A good name is better than precious ointment. Okay. 
Okay, now I need someone to read. Uh, I need someone to read verse 5 and 6. I guess that's you, Christy. That's good. I want to talk particularly about 5 and 6. Um, better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For a crackling of thorns under a pot. Most of us don't have to cook with fires outside with wood or whatever fuel we have available. But I take that to mean that if, you're, if you are cooking outside, I, I've cooked at the beach a couple of times. If you have wood, that works. If you have brush, and eh, not so good. Um, briars, you, you can light them, but you don't get any heat. They kind of blaze up and crackle, and then they're gone. Not much heat, not much good, is it? How are you going to cook your meal? And uh, I want to pick on crackling one more time. Have you ever listened to TV one or two rooms away? Like you're reading a book and someone else is watching TV, and you hear that laugh track. Ah, ah. It sounds really stupid, doesn't it? You know what? It is stupid. Um, I can tell you all these details of a couple of funerals I went to. I can't tell you what happened in a TV show I watched a week ago. Right? Now, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying one is worth more than the other, isn't it? I probably will still watch TV, but... Uh, <laughs> And then the beginning of that, in verse 5, it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise. There are some people's, there are a lot of people's opinion that I, I value. I don't like to hear it that you should have done this, or wouldn't it have been better to do that, or boy, that was a fiasco, wasn't it? Even though I cringe when I hear that, that's good for me, because I'm not going to do it that way again. And again, this is just a little vignette. It, you know, we're going to finish this in a minute and be on to the next subject. But um, my dad once told me, if you make a mistake in life, that's not, it's not a total waste. It's not a total bad thing because you can always learn from that, right? So hopefully you won't make the same mistake again. So through my life, I've had a lot of uh, learning experiences. <laughs> When I went to high school, I, I was a smart guy. Um, I didn't have to do homework. I didn't know how to study. When I went to college, that was over. I had to work like heck, and I didn't know how. And so I was involved in music, and I was involved in sports, and, and this and that, and my grades weren't very good. So it, that was about a, that took me about three and a half years to learn, to learn that. But, uh, but I did graduate in four, so I must have done something right. So anyway, it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Let's see. Next we want to look at um, 
still chapter 7, verse 11 through 14. Okay, I guess that's you. Thanks. Let's talk about 11 and 12 just for a moment. My version says wisdom is good with an inheritance, but I notice the next verse and a half talks about just wisdom. So I think that means it's wisdom is good as it's as good as an inheritance. It's as good as money. I think that's the sense of it. And, and see if you agree with me. Uh, in 11, it also says, and profitable to those who see the sun. That means those of you who are living. For wisdom is a defense, as money is a defense. I think wisdom lasts longer than money. Although you can run out of wisdom and stop being wise, as, as Solomon did. Um, but the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. And I, I think... One of the dynamics I see with wisdom is when you have trouble in your life, and you will have trouble, you've already had trouble, right? A wise man approaches trouble, and the way he handles it, there's hopefully less trouble, or he finds a way to get out of it or get past it. A foolish man encounters trouble, and it gets worse. Make sense? Um, Friday morning, I opened up the paper, and there was a rather astounding example of that. I don't know if you all can see this lady. She has a black eye and numerous cuts and bruises, and she has a hangdog expression, and by the way, she's wearing prison garb. Um, her name is Adelaida Cortez, and on early Monday, she went to the house of her mom and father-in-law. Um, I guess to see about her kids. And she says she was taking a drug for postpartum depression. And for some reason, they didn't let her in. And so she got apprehensive and she was making a ruckus and she actually broke a window and wounded herself with a cut glass. And at that point they called the police. I, I would too if someone was breaking in my house. And the police surveyed the situation, said, ma'am, you're going to have to come with us. And she said, I don't want to go to the police. Why should I have to go with the police if I don't want to? And uh, yeah, you, you guys are thinking, you know, time after time, this woman is demonstrating her foolishness. Uh, I, I didn't want to make any value judgments here, but that's, that's what I thought. <laughs> so her stepfather didn't let her in. She broke the window because she thought her stepfather might be harming the children. And then she said, I watch a lot of scary movies. You never know. <laughs> so too much scary movies in here, not enough knowledge of her stepfather. And oh, by the way, if you care about your children, why are they there and you're not? Okay, so this poor lady is not probably not going to see her children for a while. Um, 
because she's got a trial to look forward to. So foolishness encounters trouble and makes all the wrong decisions. Wisdom encounters trouble. I'll give you another example, hopefully a good one. Years ago, Lynette, you and I were going home from church. We lived up in Calgary and we had three kids in the back seat and it was a sunny day, it must have been summertime. And there was a family walking down the sidewalk and I was driving and uh, I think I was probably about to make a right turn, I, I'm not sure what. But this family was not paying attention at all. They had their heads turned away. And suddenly the dad steps out in the street in front of me so as to cross and I screeched. Fortunately, I wasn't going fast, so I, I just had to screech to make sure I didn't hit anyone. And that's okay. Then the dad turns around and he's surprised and shocked and he starts cussing me and yelling. And right then, I was angry. <laughs> uh, my blood pressure went up, the adrenaline probably went in, I got hot, and I, j just for a split second, I wanted to run that guy over. <laughs> You know, you, you're, you're not even looking, and I screeched, and it saved your life, and, and now you're mad at me. But I didn't. I held on. Um, and I guess, let me see here. I think I'm getting ahead into verse 9. So let me read verse 9 real quick. It says, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Do, don't hasten to be angry. In James we read, be slow to anger. It means the same thing, right? And the way I see it is there's the thing that provokes you and then there's a little bit of a gap and then there's your reaction. How are you going to react? So going back to that little gap right there when I initially got angry, you've got to exploit that gap. You've got to stretch it out. You've got to stop and think and don't be quick to be doing something about it. Make sense? When they say count to 10, that's exactly what they're talking about. When your adrenaline is flowing, when your blood pressure goes up and you're ready to kill someone, that's the time to just... Faster, slow. Yeah. <laughs> Faster, slow, right? <laughs> slow is better, isn't it? Okay. I feel like I'm saying things that are obvious, but the fact is, even at this late date in my in my time, sometimes these things affect me too, so maybe they affect some of you guys. So that's anger and um, reacting too quickly. And we might think about when has wisdom helped one of us avoid doing something stupid? Or when has wisdom helped us get out of a, a sticky, uh, out of trouble? So don't hasten in your spirit to be angry. Now I want to pick up verse 13 and 14. Consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? If you lived in Cambodia in the early 80s, that was a terrible place to live because they were killing all their people and so on. That's what it is. In the day of prosperity, we read in 14, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider, surely God has appointed the one as well as the other. So that man can find out nothing that will come after him. You're going to have prosperity in your life. Enjoy it, okay? No problem with that. You're going to have hard times in your life. 
maybe something with your one of your kids. I don't know. Maybe your marriage falls apart. Um, apparently, God let that come into your life too. And and the I guess the thought is. Rest in God, don't rest in your circumstance. Lynette and I moved up to Calgary in uh, in 1979. We, we'd grown up in the Los Angeles area and gotten married and been married all, all of a year, I think. And I decided I want to live somewhere besides Los Angeles. And we landed in Calgary, which is about 1,600 miles north of Los Angeles. And that was kind of interesting. And we got a dog and uh, bought a house. And uh, Lynette got pregnant, and we had Amy came along. And th things were going all right, you know. And the, the oil business was booming in the early 80s. <laughs> then in 1984, the oil business went. And if you lived in Calgary or Houston or Denver, I suppose, too, those are oil cities, and the housing market went down because people were losing jobs. And I didn't lose my job, just because my hours got cut way back. And so guess what? We lost our house. We had to move into a little duplex. And that was an adverse situation. I didn't know in 1979, 1980 that this was coming. I did know it in 1984. We had to deal with it. Was that a good thing? It wasn't in 1984. It was a good thing now because I've made some. We've made some good decisions about money-wise. We've communicated to our kids. Guess what? The banks will loan you more money than you can afford. So you have to be smart about that. So it was hard then. It's not so hard now. So what the author is saying here, what the preacher is saying. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. You don't have a crystal ball. You don't know what, what the future is. So that's, that's 13 and 14. So enjoy it while it lasts and rest in God. Um, let's see. This next part is kind of fun. Can I have someone read 15 through 20? Either one. I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Do not be exclusively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be exclusively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is, a, it is good that you grasp one one thing and also not let the other, the other, not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both, with both of them. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. That last verse he read, there's not a righteous man who continually does good and never sins. OK. 
Can you think of how the New Testament would say that? All have sinned. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Yeah. So you all know that. So you all come under that, right? Yes. Yes, quite so. Okay, this is this is kind of interesting. Um, Solomon's going to expand on verse 15 later, so we'll just touch on it now. He said, there's a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs life. So he's saying, why doesn't the righteous man live a long time and the wicked man live a short time? Um, I don't know. But maybe the thing to do is ask God, what's going on here, Lord? Um, Or maybe the wicked man is there for a lesson to the rest of us or to our kids. Maybe. I don't know. I've known some people that are extremely wicked and why is he still on earth? Yeah. Some of them are CEOs. Oh, I didn't mean to knock CEOs, but. Um, okay, verse 16. Um, I actually struggled with this. Do not be overly righteous. I think yours said excessively righteous or something. Nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? And then on the other hand, don't be overly wicked or be foolish. Why should you die before your time? I struggled with being overly righteous because Solomon himself extols wisdom. He, ex he recommends that you be righteous. So what is this overly righteous thing? And um, <laughs> They're annoying. So they, they get hung up on their righteousness and they're telling you what to do. Um, I, I had a conversation with a guy named uh, Russ when I was in college again. Now Russ was a non-believer. We were all in the Caltech Men's Glee Club. That, that was a fine singing organization. Russ was telling me, the non-Christian was telling me about two of my friends, Harvey and Tom. I'll call him Tom too. Um, he said, you know, Harvey's a Christian, you can tell it, he's a really good guy, uh, real easy to be with. Tom's a Christian too, but he's kind of irritating. He, you know, kind of rubs you the wrong way. And he, he didn't say any more than that, but I knew what he meant. And you, you know what he meant. Um, I think it's just that. It, in Romans, we, we speak of people about getting into arguments about conscience things, right? So one person doesn't want to eat meat, the other person has no problem with eating meat. Um, Paul says, you guys both be sure of what you're doing, be convinced in your own mind. He does not say, this person ought to tell that person what to do. Yes? Why do these kids have to have attitudes? Why, why 
intently at this because it's an added interest. So she's learning from mom and dad to have a standard, to have a moral. I was talking to my daughter the other day, and I said, you know, the only thing is at six years old, she's coming to class almost joke funeral. Oh, and sure. Yeah. And I thought about, but I thought about, okay, this is time now to teach my grandkids and to teach life. You hate the sinner, or you hate the sin, but you love the sinner. You're me. That's what I think we come here to be overly wise or over, we, we overbear. We forget the source and the, and the person that's involved in that. Again, it's hating the sin, but loving the sinner. Yeah. You've read in the papers about there's some Baptist church, and I think it's in Florida, that they have a reputation that, you know, gays and homosexuals are bad and they're going to hell. Well, it, it would be a great disservice for any of us to say, that's okay, God will bless you, because God doesn't say that. You've got to stick with what he says here. But it would also be a great disservice to say, I don't want you around here, you can't come to my church. Where else are they going to hear the truth? And, and maybe they need to have some friends that are willing to, okay, let's talk about this. Let's, let's have lunch together. Let's, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's not a matter for six-year-olds, is it? It uh, takes some maturity there. So I think you guys understand overly righteous uh, probably better than I do. So let's see. Well, before I leave that, I, I'm, I'm reading a biography of Admiral Nimitz, and he has nothing to do with this. It's a, it's, when he was an old man, he got this prayer for restraint, and I'm going to read you some of it. Lord, thou knowest better than I know myself that I am growing older and will someday be old. What a laugh. <laughs> and then here's, here's the, keep me from getting talkative, particularly from the false habit of thinking I must say something on every subject and every occasion. Release me from craving to try and straighten out everybody's affairs. I mean, I'm an old guy. I know he's doing wrong. I'm going to straighten him out. Make me thoughtful but not moody, helpful but not bossy. With my vast store of wisdom, it seems a pity not to use it all. <laughs> but thou knowest, O oh Lord, that I want a few friends at the end. <laughs> Teach me the glorious lesson that occasionally it is possible that I may be mistaken, <laughs> and unless your name is, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep me reasonably sweet. I don't want to be a saint. Some of them are so hard to live with. <laughs> okay. I didn't read you all that, but you get the idea. So that's about being overly righteous, uh, and there is a danger that you'll, t you'll turn people off, the very people that you want to reach. Don't be overly wicked. Why should you die before your time? In 18, it says, it's good that you grasp the one thing and don't, don't lose sight of the other. So I think he's saying, be reasonable. Certainly be righteous, but be reasonable about how you handle these things. He who fears God will escape them all. Um, I would say up to now, if there's any overarching theme, it's think about your life, about what you're doing, about the people you influence. Does that make sense? Think about, I tend to be looking at this half of the class, sorry. <laughs> think about your life and what, what you're doing.
Okay, we're going to kind of buzz through uh, chapter 8, starting at verse 2. Can I have someone read 2 to 5? Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. Right. Now, we don't have kings in this culture. We do have authorities, though, right? Where I work, I have a boss. I have a company that says, thou shalt do this and not do that. And then if you live in the state of California, there are absolutely tons of laws that you have to obey depending on the circumstances. You can't drive as fast as you want or wherever you want. You've got to obey the, the rules of the road. If a cop pulls you over, I'm looking over here. Um, if a cop pulls you over, wh whether you agree with him or disagree with him, you'd better show him a little respect. Otherwise, you could be in more trouble than you are when he first pulled you over. So that's, that's rules. And that's just saying, you know what, obey the law. I, I think that's what 2 through 5 is saying to me, obey the law. I, um, a few months ago, I had to fire an employee. His name was Bob, no last name. And this is interesting because he was a very productive guy, but he wanted to work his own hours. Everyone else at the office worked 7 to 4, and he wanted to work noon to 8 or something. He wanted to work weekends. He wanted to, let me see what else. He didn't want to work at the location that we'd all signed up to work at. He wanted to work at the other office. And he had a habit of going, I'm a project manager, and I work with a Chevron project manager who hired us. And he went over both of our heads on numerous occasions. <laughs> to the Chevron guy's boss, and they didn't like that either. So for all those reasons, it, it, this is a very basic lesson. There's, there's rules, you have bosses, you have to respect that. So in spite of the fact that he was smart and productive, we finally had to say, ta-ta, you're gone, you know. So none of you need to know that. I mean, you, you all know that already, hopefully. but. Uh, there are people like that. Let's read uh, 6 through 9, same chapter. I need one of you guys to volunteer. Because for every matter there is sign of judgment, the misery of man increases greatly. For he does not know what will happen, so who can tell him when it will occur? No one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit. And no one has power on the day of death. There is no release from that war. The wickedness will not, will not deliver those who are given to it. All this I have seen and applied in my heart to every work that is done under the sun. There is a time in which one man rules over another to his own hurt. Verse 6 starts with because, and I think it's talking about that obey your king, obey your boss whatever your authority is. And it says, because for every matter there is a time in judgment, though the misery of man increases. For he does not know what will happen. 
So who can tell them when it will occur? I think what will happen is if you disobey the authority, there's going to be consequences. You may get away, you may run a red light today, but eventually it's going to catch up with you. Um, and I think that's just all it's saying, justice is coming. And let's, let's read some more about justice, um, verse um, 10 through 12. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such great things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. Um, read one more, please. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Okay, verse 10 needs a little bit of explanation. It says, when I saw the wicked, I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten. Um, in the good old days, the authorities of the church, or of the temple, I suppose, in Solomon's time, was the same as a civil authority. So if you broke the Ten Commandments, or if you broke a religious rule, you could get in trouble from the civil authorities, right? We don't have that in America, we divide the two. But Back then, that was very common. And in Jesus' time, that was common, too. Remember, the Pharisees could haul the uh, apostles into prison for preaching about Jesus in the book of Acts. So he's saying this guy in verse 10, the wicked man, he'd come and gone from the place of holiness. He hadn't been thrown out of the temple. He hadn't been taken to task for his, I don't know if he was lying or che cheating someone or stealing from someone or whatever. but. He hadn't been, he was allowed to go on just like a regular person. And so that's what he's talking about in 10. And, uh, but then he, and then verse 11 kind of follows on that. Because, because a sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Now, in our culture, and I don't want to say too much too fast. Um, I personally believe that if you murder someone, if you kidnap someone, if you rape someone, there ought to be a death sentence. Of course, there needs to be trial and due process and all that. But I, I think, and it's not just Tom saying that, it's also in here. And we have people who are sitting on death row for 20 years. And it's, it's not such a bad thing, apparently, to kill someone or to rape someone. And, that's, and obviously, that's an obvious meaning of verse 11. But in the context, it's, it's even more than that. It's the fact that the authorities that were in charge with moral, following the moral rules, weren't doing their job. So everyone got in on the act. So when, you're, when your authorities are corrupt, that influences everybody, or a lot of people, right? And you see that today. Like the, peop the young people that you counsel about um, abortions and fooling around and all that. And then 12 and 13, th this, whole, this whole thing has been about authority and standards and judgment. 
in verse in chapter 8. 12 and 13 says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet surely I know that it will be well with those who fear with God, but it will not be well with the wicked. So Solomon is saying there, there's going to be an accounting someday. So don't lose sight of that. And then um, I think we have time for 16 and 17, and then we'll be we'll wrap it up. Let, let's have someone read um, chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, to see the business that is done on the earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the works of God, and a man cannot find out the work that is done in the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will find not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. Hey, Jeff, you want to take a shot at uh, summarizing that for us? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone want to help him? No. <laughs> uh, well, let's, let's kind of walk through it. 16 says, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done, even though one sees no sleep. I think he meant he was up at night thinking about this. Yeah. It, it seems to like worry so the goal is he wanted wisdom and he was studying it right and he was worrying about it like you said and he in the conclusion is you can't find it out You can't find it. Yeah. No good, huh? Well, like, even though he knows that God is the author of it, it still kind of boggles the mind. You can't comprehend it all. We've seen in the last hundred years an explosion of knowledge, maybe in the last 200 years in the West. And I, I almost feel like here, here's all the knowledge in the world, and here's how much I know of it. I, I don't know if you guys feel that way, but that. You'd have to make the little pie pieces smaller. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're probably right. Uh, it seems like the more wise we are, the still more stupid we are. The same things over and over that we should have learned from the past, like we talked about earlier yeah. in your message. You know, we should learn from something, our mistakes. We haven't. If if you know that, you have a leg up on the people that don't know that. Maybe that's wisdom. Well, our, our scientific wisdom, the facts we absolutely knew in the past, now we absolutely know new facts. And, and, and God tells us that, that our he will make our wisdom foolishness. So how much do we really know and how much are we still speculating or guessing or think we know? Very good. Um, in uh, the years 51 to 53, uh, John Watson and Francis Crick came up with the structure of DNA. And it was a great achievement and they got the Nobel Prize for that. 
And uh, e even at the beginning, they were pretty sure that this is genetic material, and it was copied onto something. This is an RNA molecule, just one strand. And then this RNA molecule, uh, this, this factory is called a, a ribosome, I think. But this red, the code in, in the RNA, it had some amino acids nearby, kind of in the stockroom, and it spit out an enzyme by assembling these amino acids into the, what the code said to do. And these enzymes control everything in your body. Okay. Now, w when, they'd, when they'd finally figured out, oh yeah, there's little um, bases that go across. And, and these bases in here are a positive and a negative. You know, they, there's a, it, those in, in groups of three tell you which amino acid to grab if you're this factory. Now, when they did this, uh, Francis Crick uh, flew into this place that they used to eat lunch together, and they said, we found the secret of life. Because before that, we thought that life was some kind of vital force. And now we've actually said, oh my gosh, we know exactly the molecule that is responsible for life. But you know what? This illustrates these two verses we just read. This DNA molecule that had ever came into existence is a miracle. The means by which it unzips, the positive part makes a negative, the negative part makes a positive, now it's replicated. That's a miracle. This RNA is a miracle. This ribosome that reads the code, have you ever heard of a code without some kind of intelligence going with the code that made up the code? So this, this, this tells me there's intelligence back of it. This factory that turns amino acids into enzymes by reading a code, that's a miracle. These enzymes that control every process in our body, that's maybe another thousand miracles. So all, all you've done, and even when you have this, you don't have life. All you have is some very interesting chemistry. I mean, we, we still haven't talked about a cell yet, have we? We still haven't talked about how does your heart beat get that rhythm for 80 years. So what did the preacher say? He said, I applied my heart to know wisdom, blah, 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 and a man can't find it out. Well, we found out a lot, but going back to my, <laughs> I think we found out about this much. That's with Google. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, th this stuff I, I think is fascinating, but I, I got to just say, you know, but we don't know it, and, and, it's, and happy is the man who realizes that we don't know it.